AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils, oils that run smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, folks. Welcome to AOA. I certainly appreciate you joining us. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams on the day, and we have a good show. Robert White, the Director of Industry Relations for the Renewable Fuel Association, will be joining us in just a little bit to talk about what the ethanol demand is looking like out there in the world. And then Susan David from Reading Huber Ag Consultants will be with us. She's going to share the macro perspective and how some of the things we're not always watching in agriculture could be having an impact on our bottom line. To wrap up the show, we're going to talk with Stephen Ellis. We'd hope to talk with him yesterday, but technical difficulties kept it away. He's back today. We're going to talk about how harvest is proceeding out there on the West Coast. But first, we're going to pick up on the conversation we were having yesterday. John Berenick joined us yesterday to talk about what La Nina means for North America. Well, today, Ed Valley from Empire Weathers joins us, and he's going to share what La Nina means for the key growing regions down in South America. Ed, we certainly appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. And it sounds like Brazil is planting a very big soybean crop in the ground. What's the weather shaping up like down there in Brazil to the start of their planting season? Well, thanks for having me, Mike, as always. And uh, yeah, it's a very interesting start to the season. And I love how you introduced that topic about La Nina and the growing season, because if you were to think about typical La Nina, you think about very dry conditions in southern Brazil and Argentina, very warm conditions there as well. The further north you go, the better off you are typically in central Brazil. And this year has been a little different. And it's important to note that it's been different because down in uh, states like Piranha, down in southern Brazil, which do have a pretty significant amount of corn production, they've actually seen really good moisture over the last few weeks. So while La Nina is still a threat, and it is making things drier down in Argentina right now. A lot of uh, the country of Brazil is actually doing pretty well in the rainfall department. Okay, well, let's talk about Argentina and their dryness. I mean, we know they were dry last year. We talked last time you were on, Ed, about the Piranha River not being able to carry full freight. They can't get their meal and other soy products exported. I imagine this dryness is only compounding those difficulties. Absolutely. And it's a situation where Argentina is obviously a little bit later uh, calendar-wise versus Brazil on the planting side of things. And, you know, things are starting to get going down there. And we're continuing to deal with this dryness. So it, it's been a concern that's accumulated a little bit here over the last few months. And really, moving forward, I, I think there's some light opportunities. But you know, you're exactly right. I think this dryness is going to just make things a little bit more problematic here over the next few weeks and even over the next month or two as we press into their growing season. Well, let's bring it back to Brazil because I think they are going to be gathering a lot of headlines over this next year with the size of the crop they're intending to plant. Ed, as you look out, you mentioned in the short term, the southern portions of Brazil receiving adequate moisture. As you look north, Mato Grosso do Sul, Mato Grosso, the other soybean growing regions, how do, how do things look on the ground so far? Yeah, so from the folks that I've talked to, for the most part, most of that region is doing fairly well. You know, we, we started a couple days late on the rainy season versus average, which is not all that uncommon in La Nina. 
However, over the last few weeks, we've seen very good moisture in a lot of that region, including Matagrosa, Matagrosa to Seoul. And moving forward over the next two to four weeks, I think things are looking pretty good. I think we're going to see continued moisture. And, you know, from a, from a risk perspective, you know, especially compared to last year, I think this year is starting off much better. And at least over the next uh, two to four weeks in that kind of sub-seasonal time frame, uh, it looks to continue that way. Well, let's look a little longer term. You mentioned that La Nina does seem to be accelerating, Ed. Longer term, what does that mean for those central regions of Brazil? Is that dryness typically going to set in? So the further north in Brazil, as I mentioned earlier, is a little bit harder to correlate with La Nina. It's a very tropical uh, climate there, especially obviously in the summertime. And we do typically still get showers and thunderstorms. So think about uh, Florida or think about the Gulf Coast in the summertime. You always get those daily thunderstorms. So I think moving forward, considering kind of how La Nina typically correlates, I think for the most part, uh, central Brazil actually has the wettest risks, I would argue, out of really the entire South American production region. I think the further south you go, that's where those issues may arise as we uh, kind of move along. Okay, definitely something to keep an eye on. Ed, I know you track weather all around the world, and I'm going to throw a curveball at you. We've been hearing reports earlier in the harvest season that China was really struggling. Can you give us an update? We know they've been buying a lot of corn. Is, is that because they've been seeing their crops flooded out? So there has been quite a bit of, uh, of moisture there in China, especially during the final week of, uh, of September and into the beginning of October. But recently, we've actually seen things get a little bit better there. So it's still not ideal by any means, but we've had at least some dry time to at least make things a little bit more manageable. But like you said, I think generally here, it's still on the wetter side. But moving forward, I think things are going to kind of settle down a little bit, especially compared to where we've been. All right. Well, it's always crucial to get the goods from the U.S. out through the Gulf and through the Panama Canal over to Asia. To that end, I imagine you're keeping a pretty close eye on what's happening in the tropics here in North America, that Gulf of Mexico area. Hurricane season isn't quite over yet. Ed, what are you watching here in the short term in the Gulf? Yeah, so the, the deeper you get into October, obviously things start to quiet down. Uh, this year especially seems to be on the quieter end of things. Still watching a few disturbances here or there, but compared to last year, you know, last year not only were we dealing with all that dryness in, in parts of Brazil, but we were also dealing with a very active hurricane season. This one has been active, but I think comparatively much less so than last year. So I have a much better outlook here moving forward. And uh, we'll be heading to the end of hurricane season here before we know it. All right. The calendar keeps moving forward. Ed Valley from Empire Weather. We always appreciate your insights. Thanks for keeping an eye on what's happening around the world. Thanks, and folks, stay with us. When we return, we're going to talk to Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association about how ethanol demand is sticking up here in the, in the United States. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. These acres you've put your life into, your view each harvest morning. While the ag industry changes, this land is meant to be here for your grandkids and then theirs. 
That's why ADS and drainage contractors across the nation are doing our part to protect America's farm families. We're proud to provide water management solutions that make family farms like yours more profitable now and for generations to come. Learn more about how we keep families farming at ADSPipe.com. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform, everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA this morning. Mike Pearson here sitting in for Mike Adams. There is a lot of excitement in the ethanol industry. It was reported earlier this week that for the first time in well, quite a while, production surged to over a million barrels of ethanol per day, and it did that while stockpiles of ethanol around the country have been coming down. I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into what that means for corn growers long-term and for the ethanol industry. So to help us do that, Robert White, the Vice President of Industry Relations at the Renewable Fuel Industry is here with us. Robert, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. No problem, Mike, good morning. 
let's talk a little bit about that production number. Ethanol production is climbing like crazy, and this is with crude oil prices rising. You talk to a lot of ethanol plants around the country, Robert. Is there some excitement in the industry? There's no doubt there's some excitement. We're seeing margins at high levels, uh, ones that we haven't seen in a number of years, and that's exciting, obviously, for the ethanol producers that are still coming out of some financial hardship uh, from low fuel volumes being sold over the last 18 months with the pandemic, and it's just nice to have a breath of fresh air as those margins are at the current levels. It is. It has not been a fun 18 months for a lot of folks in ethanol. Robert, when the COVID virus first hit and the shutdowns took effect, a lot of ethanol plants just closed up production. They, they shut down shop. Have most of those managed to come back online? Are these margins drawing those plants back into production? Well, you're no doubt seeing that that's a combination of two things, Mike. First, you would have some ethanol plants that have been running below capacity simply because the new corn crop wasn't there and there was no crop available. So you're seeing part of that. You're also seeing those high margins that are higher margins that will drive folks back into the market. But we, when COVID hit in March of 2020, we went down over 50% in total production. And we still have some of those ethanol plants that have never come back online. So we're, we're definitely not out of the woods uh, from the pandemic by any means, but no doubt this is a, uh, uh, an important point because we got to keep those producers going so that we can ultimately grind that corn. That is true. And Robert, I really wanted to have you on because you really do a lot of work on the demand side. I know you've worked with retailers, you've worked with consumers, you've out, been out there kind of preaching the ethanol gospel. And that was the fact this most recent EIA report showed that stockpiles of ethanol around the country actually declined. They, they declined by just uh, just shy of 100,000 bushels, or excuse me, barrels, getting my crops confused. And uh, that seems like a really good sign to see production rising while demand is rising even faster. Robert, we're coming out of the driving season. Do you expect that demand surge to continue? Well, it's kind of hard to predict, really. I mean, the, the pandemic has put so many prediction models out the window, to be honest. And But what we have seen is continued interest in lower carbon fuels, and ethanol plays an important role and can sure play a bigger one. And at the same time, you're seeing oil and gasoline prices continue to climb where ethanol is less expensive than gasoline. So it, if you pull up to the pump and you're looking for your lowest cost option, it's going to be an ethanol blend, whether it's E15 for your newer car or E85 for your flex fuel vehicle. There's just an economic uh, education that happens instantly when you go to fuel up. And then you compound that really with uh, some of the low carbon uh, fuel standards like California, they're really driving uh, interest in E85 uh, with it, you know, currently priced somewhere in a 40 to 50% discount. That gets a lot of eyes and a lot of attention. And they're currently working through emissions work uh, with RFA to, you know, get E15 approved in California to capitalize more on that value. Well, let's talk a little bit about E15. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that uh, the Trump administration approved E15 for sale year round. Robert, we've just come through the summer. How were E15 sales in 2021? Are, are consumers getting the, that price message there at the pump? I think so. And you're seeing volumes that retailers that offer E15 continue to click up as people become more comfortable with it. They see someone else using it. You know, they're fueling next to me, and I point them that direction. 
you know, that's what we all have to do as advocates of agriculture uh, or just ethanol in general is to make sure we help educate, we become advocates ourselves. But I also, you know, it's important to note that the uh, court, the legal process undid the Trump administration's E15 year-round approval. And so now we're on the clock until next summer to get this resolved, whether that's uh, legislatively, regulatorily, or, you know, in some other fashion. And we're working feverishly to resolve that issue before, you know, really next May when the term will pass to make those adjustments, but June 1st for the everyday consumer. Well, let's talk about how that progress is going, making E15 legal once again. We've heard a lot from this administration about their their praise of renewable fuels. But that, you know, looking from the outside, that praise has mostly been on the biodiesel side. I haven't heard as much love for ethanol coming out of this administration. Robert, how are your conversations going in D.C.? What have you heard? Well, at this point, I think the jury is still out. You know, we still haven't seen any RVOs. We haven't seen you know, much action on any small refinery exemptions. And, you know, ultimately the there are several things that were left undone or undid, <laughs> I guess is maybe a better word, mm-hmm. by the Trump administration. Uh, so we're kind of waiting on bated breath to see some of that. And now you have politics in play, to be honest. You've, you've got budget reconciliation and other things that every vote is needed and midterm elections coming up next year. Uh, politics are definitely in play. But at this point, you know, we still remain optimistic, uh, whether that's with Administrator Regan at EPA or or President Biden at the White House. All right. Optimism is good to hear. Robert, I know another thing you have spent a lot of years working on is encouraging retailers to put in blender pumps that would allow them to sell more different blends of ethanol right to their consumers. What have you been seeing this past year? Are retailers still excited to get blenders on their premises? And what programs are out there to help them do that? Well, we're kind of right in the middle of the high from USDA's HBIT program. That was the higher blends infrastructure initiative program that provided $100 million in uh, USDA money, and we matched it with over $100 million in in private funds, whether that be retailer or even commodity groups, sometimes were in play there. Uh, And, you know, that was coming off the heels of the original BIT program, the Biofuels Infrastructure Partnership Program. So you've really got almost $400 million, if not more, uh, being installed as we speak to uh, sell more E15 mid-level blends, of course, all the way up to E85. And that infrastructure is really, you know, maybe halfway done. So there's a lot of excitement out there in the marketplace. You know, these programs really help offset some of that need and necessity. And then, you know, once it's in the ground, we've got to point consumers that direction to make that, you know, return on investment work for those retailers so we can demonstrate that to others that haven't done it yet. You mentioned we're about 50% there. Can we talk about the geographic spread of that progress? I know a lot of our listeners here in the Corn Belt and the Great Plains are pretty used to seeing ethanol pumps uh, at their regular fuel retailer. How do things look on the coasts? I know you mentioned California. You're still in negotiations over there. On the East Coast, is E15 making some some, uh, inroads with the consumer? Yeah, ironically, E85 was a Midwest thing. It was birthed really in the you know, Missouri, South Dakota, Minnesota type uh, type situations, and then eventually spread its wings and got to the coast where E15 kind of just was thrown at the map, right? And it kind of landed where it landed. But a lot of it was up and down the coast, with the exception of the West Coast, just simply because 
it has not been approved there yet, and we're working on that, and we're hopefully get that resolved in the next year or so. But up the East Coast, I mean, we're you know New York, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, there were some introduced, uh, you know, obviously West Virginia, Virginia, uh, all the way through the the Eastern Seaboard. So it's it is exciting because it, E15 is definitely not a Midwest phenomenon. This is a fuel that's getting out. It's in 30 states now. And, you know, we hope that, again, we can sell it in the summer months next year. That ruling was just for conventional markets. So the major cities that have any reformulated gasoline requirements for emissions, they can still sell E15 year-round. You know, think of Houston, Dallas, Kansas City, Chicago, et cetera. That rule change did not affect them. So there's still a lot of opportunity for growth with or without that rule change. But, again, we, we need it, and we're hopeful that we can get that through Washington. All right, Robert, as you look out to the future, the next six months, 12 months or so, do you think the, the ethanol industry is going to continue to be able to pay a premium for corn from uh, America's growers? I think so. And, and, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon. We we focus on the transportation side of things, or at least the light duty transportation. But we're looking at, you know, putting ethanol and diesel in. We're looking at all kinds of new uses that will help eventually drive more corn demand. All right, getting that corn from the fields of the Midwest out into the gas tanks on the East and West Coast. That's a, a good thing to hear. Robert White, the VP of Industry Relations from the Renewable Fuels Association. We appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. We'll be talking to Susan David from Reading Huber Ag Consultants about the macro issues she's keeping an eye on. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. About 80% of farmers use propane to dry their grain. If you're part of that 80%, you know a dryer filled with propane distributes heat and dries grain more evenly. With FS Propane, you can increase harvest quality, improve productivity, and lower fuel cost. Propane from FS ensures dependable supply. FS offers services and flexible, convenient payment programs to help keep your mind on your business while they manage your propane tank and supply. For grain drying, choose FS Propane. FS Propane brings the heat. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from throughout the cooperative system, from global market access to local expertise. We'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA, I'm Kirsten Rall. Beans found strong support in yesterday's weekly USDA export inspections report. Bean shipments last week exceeded the high end of the trade range by 7-plus million bushels, the largest of the marketing year so far, and equaled last year's weekly volume. The U.S. soybean harvest advanced to 60% complete. Harvest is furthest along and ahead of normal in the western half of the belt. Corn export inspections last week also exceeded the high end of the trade expectations and posted the largest volume 
Of the marketing year, the U.S. corn harvest advanced to 52 percent complete. On the Board of Trade, December corn trading two cents lower at 5.30 and a half cent. The March contract down two at 5.38 and a half cent. For soybeans, the January contract up seven and a fraction at 12.36 and a fraction of a cent. The March contract up seven and a half cent at 12.44 and three quarters. For wheat, Chicago wheat December up a penny and a half at 7.37 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat December down a half a cent at 7.48 and a half cent. Minneapolis spring wheat December down a penny and a half cent at 9.66 and three quarters. The March contract down a half cent at 9.54 and a half cent. In cash cattle country, it's slow to start this morning with just a few scattered asking prices starting out at around $126 plus in the south, but not yet established in the north. Significant trade volume will likely be delayed until Wednesday or later. Beef cutouts are expected to be lower with light to moderate box movement. Looking at those live cattle features on the Board of Trade this morning, the December contract up 52 at 130.92. The February contract trading 65 cents higher at 135.65. Feeder cattle January up a dollar 30 at 160.85. March up a dollar 20 at 161.55. In lean hogs, the December contract trading 75 cents lower at 78 dollars even. The February contract down 77 at 81.02. You're listening to AOA. I'm Kirsten Rome. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. AOA is brought to you by Cenex Matron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oils. Oils that run smart. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. I'm Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this week. Appreciate all of you taking the time to join us here on AOA. As we look ahead, our next conversation is with Susan David. She is a risk management expert with the folks at Reading Huber Ag Consultants. And Susan writes one of the more diverse newsletters in the ag industry. She digs into a lot of macro factors that have impacts on agriculture. So we brought her in today. We're going to talk a little bit about energy. We want to talk about the dollar and where she sees that going and what impact it has on growers. Susan, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, let's talk. On your last newsletter, you went deep into the world of energy. We have been talking on the AOA for some time about the rally in energy prices. And you note that gasoline prices topped $3.30 per gallon for the first time since 2014 this past week. That's got to be having an impact on uh, consumers' bottom lines, don't you think? 
yeah, I mean, any time that we see higher energy prices by default, that generally means that as ag producers, we see higher input costs um, across the board. That's true. And, you know, one of the places you mentioned was the propane market. That's a place where we have seen prices come up fairly substantially. And as you note, that's really a function of supply and demand, right? Supply has just been much lower than we would have anticipated, right? Yes. And I included some visuals with uh, last week's Noble that kind of that helped play that out where we saw um, supplies a year ago outside of that five-year range and then now we're seeing on the bottom side right now with higher prices but we're looking at somewhat of a supply crunch interesting and i would think with with margins being where they are that supply would be growing but the the crude price as a whole must be taking a hit on the industry yeah with energies i mean it's one of those things i guess a rising tide lifts all boats and in this case um with the energy complex as a whole moving in a higher direction at uh, kind of a breakneck pace. It's really, um, it's put the whammy, especially I think fertilizer is where most of the market's attention has been. It is. And Susan, in, in your research, do you anticipate a break coming for fertilizer pricing or for energy pricing in the near term? Uh, I think we've just, we've backed ourselves into a corner with a combination of a lot of things, not only some pretty wild weather events that have uh, trickled down and had an effect across multiple um, groups of energies, but then you've got uh, this fertilizer situation, a lot of things going on in China, a lot of rhetoric coming from China too that's impacted prices, uh, Europe with renewables and things like that, too. So all of those things kind of swirling together have uh, created this explosion in prices. They have. And, you know, you mentioned China. There's been a lot of talk out of China. And recently there's been a little bit less production out of China because their energy crisis is has truly meant some factories are, are getting the lights shut off on them. Could you talk a little bit about what's happening in China on the coal front? Yeah, so we've been hearing about this off and on for, I'd say, the past month or so now. Uh, kind of started, China is hosting the Winter Olympics in 22. So it somewhat started as this talk of, okay, we're going, they are um, they're curbing energy use that it an effort to essentially clean the air ahead of the Olympics. So that's cut back on uh, soybean crush or, or plant operations. Uh, but then obviously bean plants aren't the only things affected. We saw that their GDP and their economic output was reduced quite a bit this past quarter. Um, I think they have a lot of, they re rely heavily on uh, hydro power and some other things like that. And again, just a lot of things that are somewhat of a perfect storm. So as their economy has ramped back up, I think it's really had adverse effects on their energy situation. 
That's certainly what it sounds like. They've just their demand skyrocketed and they didn't have the capacity in place to meet it. And certainly not renewably, as you mentioned, even though they may be trying for that by 2022. And Susan, you work with growers around the country, of course, in your day job as, as a risk manager and a huge component of particularly corn and soybean growers bottom lines over the past year has been derived by purchases from China with the energy slowdown over there with the GDP slowdown in China. Do you have concerns over this next year that we might see China pull back out of the uh, the export game? Well, that's definitely, uh, that's probably on the, the forefront of everyone's mind right now, especially with beans, because it seems very obvious that they continue to move along with these bare minimum type bean purchases. Um, and I mean, you look at the bean complex as a whole and here lately when you see that everything is screaming that we should end up with larger bean Indian sacks, perhaps trending more in the direction of uh, 500 million bushels versus where we sit today uh, with that 320 area. But here the past several days, it's actually, it's been more an energy related trade that, uh, that's managed to help the bean market find its footing and led by soybean oil, which again goes back to the, the entire energy thing. Well, it does. And, you know, the energy thing, we were just talking with Robert White from the Renewable Fuels Association. He mentioned the demand for ethanol continues to grow. The demand for soybean oil has also been powering that market higher, Susan, with some recent reports saying that bean meal might be a little too cheap based on uh, what they're seeing out there. As you look out in this oil and meal market, Susan, do you think we're going to... Uh, to continue to see these trends move forward? Um, yeah, I mean, actually the, the meal market is one that's caught, caught a lot of attention here the past few days. Um, so it, it's just, we've kind of, we're in this weird, this, this odd setup where again, things are screaming that the bean market should be moving the other direction, especially after last Tuesday's report, but then we managed to uh, we dipped down below 12 on no, but then we managed to find our footing and we've drifted our way back higher, uh, essentially led with these really strong uh, crush margins for being so, and that's right on the back of oil. It is. Uh, oil demand is something else. Susan, one of the things uh, you like to do in the newsletter, and I do enjoy reading the Noble newsletter there from uh, from Reading Huber, you take a look at stuff that you know maybe we don't talk about every day in the world of commodities. And you know, one of those things we do talk about, but it is vital and it's always worth mentioning, is the, the importance of the value of the dollar. The U.S. dollar index here over the past six months has climbed all four or five points higher. And can you talk to us about what that might mean for commodities broadly? Yeah, so generally we would consider um, a lot of times we, when we look at exports, we look at the value of the dollar and a stronger dollar clearly presents a headwind as it makes uh, US, U.S. products more expensive for the world buyer. So one thing that we focus on a lot is that there's this inverse relationship between the value of the dollar and commodities. So in general, a lower, uh, lower value dollar means that commodities are higher for the most part. And um, the thing that's been interesting lately is we have this strange divergence between the two. So we've seen commodities climbing higher and then we've also watched the dollar strengthening. Um, I am anything but a, 
financial uh, currency expert, but in general, I mean, this is a quite the conundrum. Um, one thing that I looked at last week at Noble was just, okay, we've had these energy prices that have gone through the roof. It said shockwaves essentially through the global economy uh, because you look at the increased cost of heating homes, fueling cars, transportation, that sort of thing. So those all stand to stifle economic growth. Um, and when you see markets get scared because you're thinking, oh man, economic growth is slowing, uh, one thing that happens is it sends the dollar, or I'm sorry, it sends investors by default flat, flocking back to the US dollar because it's viewed as a safe haven. So a lot of times people will say, how are all these things going on and we still have a strong dollar, but you have to keep in mind that uh, the dollar is the best house on a bad street. and. Therefore, uh, right now, is energies are representing the largest portion of both major commodity indexes. As energies rally, it pushes uh, these major commodity indices higher, and this is all while, while the dollar is climbing. So, with and it makes commodity. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say it makes sense that uh, when we watch these commodity indices, we can see corn and soybean you know, prices come down and indices keep rising because energies are weighted so heavily in them, right? Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Susan, before we let you go, we were talking to Ed Valley earlier in the program about the weather down in Brazil. And you've been talking. It looks like Brazil is going to have a big crop this year, don't you think? Yeah, you know, Brazil, I mean, the big thing there is that you're looking at each year we see this increased um, amount of acreage planted. So that's one thing by default that always gives them more opportunity. Um, and this year, especially, I think USDA is still using a 144 million metric tons. So, um, and, and you know, it's a lot, we have a, we're in the midst of a new year, but we were actually talking to our clients this morning in an update that Southern Brazil, they're, they're looking okay right now. I think Argentina maybe is the more, the larger concern at the moment. Those are the things to keep an eye on. Susan David from Redding Huber Ag Consultants. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. And folks, when we return, we'll talk harvest in Virginia. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. 
My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $15 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. And our guest today is Todd Diesel, CHS Crop Nutrients Expert, here to discuss crop nutrient decisions for 2022. Todd, a lot of discussion on this topic. We're seeing these historic fertilizer prices. What's causing these increases? Well, Mike, the quick run-up that we're seeing right now, really for all crop nutrients, is based on a number of global factors. And if we took them one at a time on potash, we would say there's a major mine that recently flooded up in Canada. That has really tightened supply for this fall. On phosphates, Hurricane Ida has taken out about 300,000 ton of production here in Q4. That's going to affect fall and spring. And nitrogen's a little more complex. We had the plant issues that went down this summer on turnaround for maintenance. Then we had Hurricane Ida actually hit. And what we've seen recently, gas in Europe has spiked to the point where it's about five times more expensive to produce nitrogen there than it is here in the U.S. Now let's talk about that. What are some tips that you're giving farmers to help them with their fertilizer planning decisions? Well, I think the first thing today, Mike, is to recognize that prices are much higher than a year ago. And you have to accept that fact, seeing the tight supply that we have. And the second thing I would do is get with your local cooperative at the earliest possible time that you can and try to make sure that you have a plan going into next spring. Because right now it's not just planning for fall, but how that's going to impact spring season as well. Todd Diesel, CHS Crop Nutrients Expert, has been our guest Thanks for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of co-op ownership from CHS at cooperativeownership.com. AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, 
Diesel that doesn't mess around. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know on AOA. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. Mike Pearson sitting in for Mike Adams this week. For our final segment, we're going to go out east and talk harvest with a Virginia farmer. Stephen Ellis joins us right now. Stephen, before we get into harvest, give us a little geography lesson. Where are you located in Virginia? All right, I'm east of Richmond, um, not quite on the Chesapeake Bay, but on the River Rappahannock that runs into the bay. Um, so we, we've been dealing with Chesapeake Bay regulations for almost 30 years now. Um, so east of Richmond, south of Fredericksburg, kind of like in the dead zone between all the cities, Norfolk, Richmond, and D.C. Well, in that part of the world, Stephen, I know you grow corn and soybeans. What, what else is grown out there? Um, we have wheat and barley where we, we are able to double crop soybeans. Um, so we do that too, but pretty much anything is grown. Um, there's produce. Um, my son has done that some, there's some big produce farms close by, um, a lot of wineries coming in and then that pretty much is it until you get a little bit south of us. And then it goes into cotton and peanuts and the sandier soils. Well, let's talk about how this year's looking, Stephen. On the uh, the harvest that you're working on right now, uh, you guys start on soybeans over there. We just have. Um, we've had a lot of not really tropical storms, but they've been going up the coast and pumping in moisture. So we've been really kind of warm and humid, and hadn't been soybean thrashing weather until this week. We finally got the front come through, so everybody's going at that now. Kind of stopped it the corn if they haven't finished it and going at beans hard as you can and it's a it's a good crop i won't say it and some people will have records um ours personally it may not be the record best soybeans i've ever grown but there aren't any bad soybeans and that really helps in our area where we have a lot of thin soils yeah and i'm surprised you can still be talking record or close to it given all the moisture you guys saw with those tropical storm tails that came up your way um, it's a little different here when you've got basically sand and some gravel underneath in places, but all the all the land drains. So um, we we really, when it comes to July and August, 10, 12 inches of water doesn't treat us the same as it does in the West. It'll either run off or, or soak through, and um and the crops actually benefit from that from the normal hot and dry that we 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 do get that time of year. Well, you mentioned they were running on corn before uh, they swapped over to soybeans here this past week. What have you been hearing? How do corn yields look? Um, we, the state is doing really well. We are in a little band that where we farm caught a dry spell in, at pollination and it, it knocked it back from, from really high yields, but it's still above average. But there are places within 30 miles of me that people are picking corn that they've never seen before. You know, we're a lot of 140 bushel average long term here, but that average comes from 180 and 80. Um, there are people, you know, picking 200 bushel farm averages that have never done that before within 50 miles of me. Uh, we might have one or two do that, but we're 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 a lot of 165, 170 corn this year. 
on the corn, you know, we've talked to a lot of growers in Indiana, Ohio, well, parts of Illinois, even tar spots been a big concern. Have you been dealing with any disease pressure? We had disease pressure. Um, that's probably what took the top end out of some of it is um, even though we did one shot of fungicide, it was late June, early July, and the crop held on longer this year, tried to hold on longer, and so that gave the disease more time to set in. And so, yes, it, it took away a little bit, but because our crop matures a couple weeks quicker than those areas, I don't think it had quite the impact that the, they had out there from what I've seen. Interesting. Stephen, when you think about marketing, what are the best markets for your crops there in that geography in Virginia? Where does most of that corn and soybean end up going? Uh, most of it ends up going into the Shenandoah Valley that is um, a huge turkey and chicken producing area as well as beef. Um, so they've got a good area there. If you go south, um, we're in the Smithfield area, so a lot of stuff goes to pork. And then where we are, our local is a Purdue granary that does Purdue chickens, and they barge it to southern Maryland where their headquarters are for feeding chickens. So we are a crop deficit area, so they even everything we grow, they still have to import two-thirds of what they need, so our basis is a little bit higher. Yields aren't as good, but we usually have a better basis in some areas in the country. Well, and I know you keep track of markets, you know, like it's the back of your hand. Stephen, how has basis been holding up compared to years prior? It really did well. Um, like I said, the corn right this minute, they've overfilled because it's the last 10% of harvest and it, we've had above average crop. So they're filling up, they're shutting down and taking it like every other day. And so that, that knocked the corn basis back a little bit, but it really has only been a week or two. Um, regular, it started about 10, 15 cents higher than usual. And now it's gone back to what the usual fall basis is. And they already, you know, they know they need it. So in the spring, they, they're, they're holding pretty good on it. So I can't complain about that. Um, soybeans, they really must need them because they have knocked off all discounts under 15% moisture to get them in quickly. Oh, wow. How are the, uh, the wheat and barley? You already got that in the ground? Working on that. That's my particular job on the farm um, this fall. And got the barley done and I think I've planted a thousand acres of wheat almost now another four or five hundred acres to go and then that'll be straight and in good conditions for that going in right now well that's good to hear we wish you the best of luck Stephen as harvest rolls on and as planting rolls on thanks for taking the time to talk to us and listeners join us tomorrow we'll be right back on your favorite station with AOA with more news from agriculture coming up so take care AOA is brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. At Golden Harvest, our best skill is knowing how to listen. From our Gold Series soybean and game-changing corn portfolios to our expert insights housed in the Illuminate Digital Agronomy Platform. 
Everything we offer is an answer to what we've heard from you. This is how we listen. Peanut butter and jelly, cookies and milk, football in your favorite recliner. Some things work best in pairs. Enlisty 3 soybeans from Golden Harvest are no different. Our exclusive Enlisty 3 varieties have strong agronomics and disease tolerance for your conditions. Get yours from Golden Harvest today for a pairing that performs. This is how we listen. Copyright 2021 Syngenta. The trademarks or service marks displayed or otherwise used herein are the property of a Syngenta Group company and List E3 Soybean Technology is jointly developed with Dow AgroSciences LLC and MS Technologies LLC. And List E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences LLC. All other trademarks are the property of their respective owners.